Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm gonna be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again, become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you wanna spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. So you may or may not have seen in 2013 an interview with a Navy SEAL named Chris Beck. He came out on Anderson Cooper in an hour long special as a transgender Navy SEAL and said he was transitioning to a woman. That story was watched by tens of millions of people. It had a massive effect and it was followed by a book called Princess Warrior that was written with a psychologist who was working with him. Now today, we've got Chris on the show with his fiance Courtney to break down why he's detransitioning. That's right, he is no longer transgender. He's seen that this was the wrong path and wants to warn kids who are headed down that same path so that they don't make the same mistakes that he's made. Hi, Chris. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. You may already know Chris from previous episodes on Joe Rogan or from the story in 2013 where Chris came out as transgender. And I could tell you a little bit more about his military service, which is why it was notable in the media at the time. He did an hour-long special with Anderson Cooper explaining sort of the transition story and everything like that. He was... SEAL Team 6, he served for over 20 years, and I just I have to bring up a paper to read and remember all the medals that Chris has earned. So please, please don't. <laughs> and now I've got to, I've got to, so that everybody understands the nature of, of what you've done. You earned Bronze Star with Combat Distinguishing Service, Purple Heart. You're a rare two-time recipient of the Defense Meritorious Service Medal. Um, you retired with the final rating of Senior Chief Special Warfare Operator. Mm -hmm. And... I did a little bit of research on my own and spoke to some SEALs and people who are in the Navy who say that your service actually went beyond what you see in those medals, that you were something of, you know, a really legendary SEAL, that you did some pretty amazing things. That's what I heard from people who served at the same time and after. You did a lot of great things and you displayed the type of bravery that I think people want in warriors. So thank you for your service first before we get into this. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids. You have something that you want to tell the world. What is that? So the word you used just then, craze, I think a lot of people are probably offended by that, but they should be. There was a time when transgender, like what I thought I was, and I've been going through a lot of that, so that, remember that. It was not easy. It was like difficult. You had to go through a lot. You also saw like what was happening in society. You're like, I don't want to do that. Nobody wanted to do that. It wasn't something that you lose your job, you lose your friends. 
I was making $200,000 a year before I came out. I had a great job. I had all my friends. I, I had a life. Right now, it's like about 1% in those days. It was a real low number. And now it's upwards of what, 20%? I mean, nobody knows, you know, but it, but that kind of a jump, it was like this, this really long line and then boom, it just jumps up. What happened? And that's what I'm asking. And now there's like, what, thousands of gender clinics being put up all over America. I think if you had one gender clinic in first date, that would be a lot, you know, because there's so few amount of people. Now, what's happening is somehow this became popular or something happened. I don't know. There's kids right now who are teenagers. There's 13-year-olds right now. These girls who are possibly being bullied, possibly anxiety, depression, adjustment disorder, uh, eating disorder. There's a whole bunch of things that could be happening in these young people's lives. But as soon as they go in and see, it, see a psychologist, and this happened to me too, so it's, it's personal knowledge. They go in to see a psychologist and they start talking about their past. They start talking about, and I talked about it, about some sexuality stuff. I talked about, hey, I put on, you know, my sister's clothes when I was a kid and I do some of it now and it makes me feel better. I just can relax. I just go, ah, oh. I just, it like takes a weight off my shoulders. What does it take off? Like the masculine weight or something? It's really heavy, but there's so many things we have to unpack here. Now imagine you're 13 years old and going through all this. That's the problem. There's too many other things we have to go through to get there. As soon as they go in and say, I'm a tomboy, I like to do this, and it makes me feel comfortable, they give all their reasons why, and then psychologist, psychiatrist says, oh, you're transgender, and then the next day you're on hormones, and the hormones they're using are the same hormones they used to use for medical castration. It was like a chemical castration for pedophiles. Now they're giving this to healthy 13-year-olds. Does this seem right? And this is what I'm trying to tell America to wake up. If you have children right now, they're in schools right now, and whatever's happening, a lot of people are on board with it. There's there's actors, there's athletes, there's everybody saying being transgender is, is great because you have a better life and you're not going to commit suicide because of these surgeries. Now, the fact is, if you check out a country that's been doing this for a long time, Sweden has some data. And now these children that did this really young, they're getting older now. And what's happening to them now? What's the suicide rate? What's happening to them now and what are they looking at in their life? I look back on my life and I see how I destroyed everything in my life that was holy. The temple of God, our body is what we have here. I mean, I'm, there's so many things I want to go into. How does a 13-year-old do this? How does a 13-year-old speak into an adult, a psychologist, a PhD, and you can, they're going to have a fair break? They're going to have a chance at even saying, well, it was actually depression. I was just super depressed because I was getting bullied every day. Because my haircut is, if whatever reason, there's so many reasons. And this is what we have to really look at. And nobody's talking about this. Now, I appreciate Robbie is asking the hard questions. And if you look at his Instagram, look at what he's been doing. He's been like really lighting his stuff on fire. And I love that. But at the same time, a lot of people are going to be fighting against Robbie because automatically you're going to say Christian conservatives, this and that. And then they're going to put up a wall because of politics. This is not political. This is not religious. This is health, physical health. This is mental health, the well-being of our children. So do not make this religious and do not make this political. It's not either one of those. Now, religion does come into this. Morality comes into it. A lot of other things can come into it because it does apply in, some, in some, a lot of instances. Now, a lot to unpack here. I'm telling you right now, 
I am not transgender. And everything you're doing to these children right now, it's, I am not that. I'm probably something else and I don't know what it is. This is what we need to talk about. The fact that a 50-something-year-old can sit in front of you and tell you whatever happened to me as a kid and how I grew up and then whatever sexuality and whatever, whatever happened to me. Everyone suffers. Everyone has things that happen to them. It's normal. It's life. And what happened to me should not be an excuse for a psychologist to push their agenda. And that's what's happening. You know, we all suffer. I should have figured it out. I wish I had someone that would have helped me. And I would have seen a lot of trauma. I would have seen isolation. I would have seen depression, anxiety. I would have seen some adjustment disorder. I did all this after I got out of the military. 20 years in the military, I had some trauma, you know? And now I'm walking into our psychologist's office. And one day, one day I had a letter in my hand saying I was transgender. And I was authorized hormones. I was authorized all this other stuff. So I want to I want to press in on no. that. I want to press in on that point so that people totally understand what you just said. When you went to the VA, how long did it take before they put you on hormones? How many meetings did you have? How many appointments did you have before they said, here's some hormones, go change your gender? One meeting. And how long was that meeting? An hour, because I don't think they ever do an hour because they charge by the hour and it's yeah. all about money. One hour is all it took for somebody, an adult, who's supposed to be in a position of power to help make somebody healthy, to hand over life-changing hormones that'll alter your biology forever. I mean, it'll never, it'll never go back to the place that it was, even though you're now, today, no longer on hormones. That's big news for the people who have kind of followed your story throughout the years. You are not on hormones anymore, correct? Oh, I've been off hormones probably for seven years, longer. I was only did that for a little while, and then I saw thyroid problems, and then I saw a lot of other issues, and, and I was like, this is really messing me up. I just, whatever was going on, it was causing uh, so many effects in my entire body. Hormones are system-wide. It's not just like in a sex organ. Hormones are, are our entire body. It regulates everything. So I had so much going wrong in my system when I started taking those, and who knows why? I mean, and that's the thing. Every human being is different. We're all chemically, we're all... Everything about us is different and beautiful, right? And so when you start putting chemicals in you that are totally uh, man-made chemicals, they're all synthetic and they're also uh, disrupting the entire system. And especially because it's basic chemical castration, you know, I did it for a little while and I was like, yeah, this is terrible. And so I stopped. I stopped. Some of that was paid for by the VA and I'm sorry to the American people that I did that, you know. They used you as propaganda, you know, in the hormones yeah. by putting it, if you look up your name right now and you read the news stories, you know, I'd say the majority mention you going on hormones, a lot of them that I read did. And that was just propaganda for the normalization of very quick hormone treatment and that this is, you know, healthcare and it was so necessary and things along those lines. So I have a question for you. I mean, obviously you have a problem with that in terms of how it's been normalized and now pushed on children. That's that's what I'm hearing from you. But how do you feel? And this is sort of a separate question. Then I'm going to flip it over to Landon. I want to go back to the normalize real quick, though, because that's really yeah. important. The normalize is uh, it's a, it's a really weird word to use, and they're going to use it against you, and they're going to make it like it's not normalization because we are normal. We're normal human beings. This is normal. And so what it is is like it's 
whatever, if it's normal, if it's chemical, if it's whatever, uh, psychological, whatever's going on, if everything that happened to me is normal, then fine, let it, let it. But the thing is, is if you're in grade schools, you're in high schools, you're in there and you're publicizing and you're, and you're promoting it, that's when it starts becoming wrong. So if, the, if there are transgender people out there and we find in, his, in the future, if they start studying us enough, they have enough evidence-based, which right now it's not evidence-based, it's feeling-based. I wonder what psychologists said, hey, I feel like this, I feel like that. Hey, if I put different clothes on, I feel like this, I feel like that. It's all feeling-based. It's not, it's not evidence-based. So it's all subjective. It can be whatever you want it to be, right? That's why we have the problem with the pronouns. I'm unpacking a lot of stuff here. This goes back to the normalized thing. If this does turn out to, to be a human condition that we all could face and the numbers are 1% of the population, then so be it. But I want to see it in evidence. And then I'll support that 1% because it's evidence-based, it's medical, it's this or that. But right now it's based on like Alfred Kinsey. It's based on a whole bunch of stuff that's some really weird science. And please look up that name. He's basically the father of transgenderism. You know, he's one of the big people that really did that. Who is that guy? How did he do this? How did he come to the conclusions? You know, and you'll be sickened. It's disgusting. This is how it became normalized was because of a whole bunch of bad science and how they started thinking it was normal. Now, if you start doing some real science, we start really getting evidence-based and it's not just feelings. And yeah, but it's so popular that's what you're saying normal it's not normalized it's becoming popular i think is what and you, they can't use that against us because it's popular you walk around how many rainbow flags do you find in every grade school classroom almost every one right how many corporations during pride during june they fly rainbows they do it there is full support there is popularization there is propaganda there is pushing it these parades are out of the hand so it's not being normalized it's being popularized and that's, that's where you really need to make that distinction. That's that's a great way to say it. I think that that that's absolutely how to describe what's happening is it's it's creating popular culture built around these ideas yeah. and popular culture builds this sort of reality of how you gain acceptance in society. And I think a lot of young people are latching on so that they can be accepted within popular culture. And I think that's that's exactly right. And in a lot of ways, it sort of lines up with psychological operations, which you know about from being a SEAL. It lines up with psychological operations from the past that we've even used, our own country has used against other countries to weaponize culture against the regime that is being dealt with. Mm -hmm. And now it almost seems like a psychological operations being used on American children when you look at sort of the dynamics of what's going on and that popularization that you're talking about. It's led to this dangerous moment where... You know, you've got cases of schools in places like California where the majority of students identify as some form of LGBTQ. That's obviously not in alignment with the entirety of human history. And you can't say that acceptance is the sole reason why there would be a change, because there's been societies many times before, before any of us were alive, where there was total acceptance of people being, you know, lesbian or gay or, or what have you. And you didn't have these numbers. So there's something in the numbers that obviously, you know, proves the point you're making that this has been popularized to a degree that is taking away from the realities of what is real and true and honest. And I think that's where you get into a lot of dangerous territory. And it's why we've gotten to this moment now where you've got, you know, 15 year olds having their breasts cut off in mastectomies and they don't know how they're going to feel at 25 
you know, 30 years old when their brain is fully developed. And again, that's science. We're talking about science here, not about, you know, what is Christian and moral and good, in my opinion. My yes. opinion, religiously, frankly, doesn't matter in, a, yeah. in, in this context. Exactly. About the science of this by itself, mm. we're talking about a child without a fully developed brain mm. in the, that context of just science. Is this sound what they're doing? What are they doing to our nation's children? I, I, I studied uh, for my graduate degree in uh, mental health counseling at Alfred University. And I learned a lot while I was there. And I learned that the university is also part of the problem. There's a lot going on in universities when they're teaching, you know, counselors and psychologists. And this is part of the curriculum where this is being taught, where it's being popularized in the university systems for the people who are going to be the counselors. And I sat in those classes and I heard what they're saying. Now, me sitting in there, they, they wanted me to keep talking, but they wanted me to give my examples. But I was like, no, that's, and I would have almost been like, well, no, that's not true. That's not, uh, and it was just so bad. And then when it really came to a head at Alfred was, uh, I was in multicultural counseling class. And so this is going through each culture and talking about each culture and how specific and how it affects you as a counselor and who you are culturally. So if I was to counsel an African-American, I should know a lot about that, something about the African-American culture so I can speak, you know, to them intelligent enough and not be offensive and try to help them as much as I can. That's the purpose. And when he started talking about transgender and all of this, it was like so much of it. It was like, what, half the class? I asked him, I put my hand in there. I said, okay, so we learned about African-American culture, we learned about black culture, you know, we learned about Asian, we learned about all these different cultures. And so what about white culture? What about, and no, we don't teach that. And then every time they talked about white culture, there was this hatred. There was this, it was like, I said, yeah, but I'm white. And I said, and I don't hate people like that. I mean, I grew up with family that played, you know, professional football, where it was like in New York City, the culture was so mixed up. And so like, we, I don't see that the way you see it. I don't hate myself or hate all white because of something that happened a couple hundred years ago. And so when I started saying that in class, I got bucked and I wrote a paper about it trying to support my my thing. And so I got a 50% on that paper and I was put on academic probation. I have a 3.7 on high honors at Alfred University. And I got put on an academic probation because I told a professor, I said, I don't think this is right. This is, and I showed her documentation about a lot of it about great Zimbabwe and African and greatness and so many kings and queens. And, and, and I was like, this is, no, we still hate white people. This is what they're teaching. And they're teaching it all about that. Hatred is also being taught the opposite direction about the acceptance and the over acceptance and over popularization of being transgender or LGBT. They're down there giving me all these awards just for showing up. They're like, you're courageous you know, for just walking out the front door. I said, no, I'm not. This is like, um, something's wrong. I don't, I need help. I'm walking out the front door because I'm asking for help. You know, they're teaching everything so messed up at the university level so many years that who knows what they're actually telling these kids behind these closed doors. So for me, with a child right now, I don't trust them. I don't trust psychologists, psychiatrists until they get to the bottom of this. We find out the DSM is being used as a, as a tool to push a narrative. So I want to have 10 sessions minimum if a kid comes in there and says, I'm a tomboy and says anything about it. I want to have a whole bunch of things because I want to make sure. I want to make sure that this child is not being bullied into depressed or it's adjustment disorder or all these other things that can go through the DSM. I'm talking really fast right now because the people that need to hear this are going to know what I'm talking about. The, they need to have all these hurdles. You need to have something going on and then figure out what's really going on in these kids' lives. 
and this is all about the kids. If you're 25 years old and you go into a psychologist and one session later, you're getting surgery, you know, that's you, you know, go for it. You know, transgender is real for you and everything that's going on. For me, I'm finding out a lot of stuff. I'm protecting these kids. Do whatever you want if you're over the age of 25. And I keep saying 25 because when I was studying human development, 25 years old was the ending age of your brain being fully developed. If you're 25 or older, in my heart, when I look at you, go do surgeries and go do whatever you want. You're an adult. Okay? But if you're under that age, you're being talked into it. You're being brainwashed. Even though brainwashing is not a real term, but you're being coerced. You're being manipulated. You're being stuffed. And you know what? This is a billion-dollar industry between psychology, between surgeries, between hormones and chemicals, between all the follow-up surgeries and everything else. They just pop, what? Thousands of gender clinics are popping up all over our country. And each one of those gender clinics is going to be pulling in, what? Probably over 50 million per, if you think about it. Doesn't that make you kind of wonder? And they're all in on this. I'm, I'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist right now. I don't want to do that because we're not all in on it. But there's been a lot of bad teaching going on. And it's all based on Alfred Kinsey and, and Courtney. You should hear Courtney speak about this. She undergraduate in gen, uh, women and gender studies, uh, biology and psychology and all of it. And you would not believe how much knowledge is out there. But as soon as anyone else brings it up, as soon as they say, well, we don't think that. Transphobe that and her walls are put up and you're yelled at and put down. And just like you're happening to you, Robbie and Landon, I'm sure everybody's yelling at you, calling you transphobe and haters and all that. Even Nazis, they talk throwing these words on there and shut you down because you ask a question. I'm talking a lot and I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm really, because this, we're hurting our kids. Kids are dying and I don't want that to happen. It's killing me because I helped do that. CNN and how they used me. Part of my image is, is hurting these kids. And I want to make sure the whole world knows everything you see on CNN with my face, do not even believe a word of it. Everything that happened to me for the last 10 years is just, it's just horrible. They destroyed my life. I destroyed my life. I'm not a victim. I did it to myself. But I had some help. <laughs> Darn it. Do you feel like you were manipulated into the CNN interview and how it all went down? I would have to go into the psychologist and the book. I don't like talking about it because this is what it really goes into. Green Beret friend of mine, I worked with a lot, really good friend of mine, a shooter from the place at Fort Bragg. This guy, is, he's one of the top guys. Really good friend. And uh, he was tight enough friend of mine and he knew all the stuff I was taking, painkillers and everything else because I broke a lot of bones in my lower back. And when I hit so hard on my back, I broke my body armor and really damaged my back. That's how hard I hit. Broken body armor, how hard you got to hit and a lot of other stuff. And um, I was on a lot, and VA kept prescribing it, over-prescribed, opioids and everything. Then my mood and everything was messed up, so I was on mood stabilizers. Then they put me on this depression stuff, this Cymbalta crap, and a whole bunch of stuff that was just making me whack. And my buddy, Dave, he really thought I was ending that. I was gonna be a stat. I was one of the 22. That's in 2012-ish. I had a great job, I was doing really good work. As long as I was doing science and technology, if I was inventing stuff, I'm this weird, wacky inventor. I have a whole bunch of new ones too. But I didn't like that. And he saw it and I was in. I thought I was dead. And he introduced me to a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever. They're all the same. 
This person is a military expert in trauma, military expert in PTSD. Is called uh, to SOCOM. Is called everywhere to give testimony about PTSD because she is such an expert. And my buddy introduced said, "Hey, this is Chris. You know, good friend of mine, uh, Anne, and that he did the introductions to introduce me to this expert to maybe help me out to maybe not put it down in my mouth anymore." I was talking to her a little bit. And I talked to her for long enough that I told her a little bit about when I was a kid and I talked to her and I said, yeah, you know, I'm dressing up and putting some girls clothes on and how it makes me feel. And psychologically, because I went through all the counseling and everything else, I know now it was like an adjustment disorder. It was something I was trying to get rid of the caveman. I was trying to get rid of all that because it was so, it was heavy on my heart, the stuff that we did in the war. She saw the clothing and she saw the dresses and then she said transgender, she started jumping all over it. And she's, and she's an author and a publisher she said, oh my God, we could write a book and make millions. And then it all went downhill after that. Everything she talked to me, she, every, every meeting, she kept digging into all that and it just kept going and going and going. And then I know I'm not, I'm not a freaking kid. I had a lot going on, but these kids right now, they have, they're, they're getting manipulated worse than that. I didn't kill myself and I did all this. And now I'm here and I'm stuck with all of this. And I don't, if these kids are being hurt, and those psychologists are doing the same thing that happened to me. And this is happening in CNN. And they see my image up there and they start thinking, oh my God, courage and bravery is not courageous to be a victim. It's not courageous to be a, a, a bag of crap walking around saying, help me because I'm going to hurt myself because I'm on opioids. I'm that and I'm hurting. And so I'm walking around and, and I'm getting love bombed. So I got love bombed by CNN. I got love bombed by her in the beginning. And then she was like, oh my God, this is great. We're going to be millionaires. And then it was so, no, not, you know, the, the psychologist and that. And then can you imagine that every time you go out the door and then you know something's wrong and I'm still really messed up and everybody's hugging you and giving you praise and saying, here, take this back. You're the best. <laughs> Do you know what a love bomb is or what it came from? Does anybody understand what's really going on? It's a, it's a cult. Love bombing is a cult. All these surgeries is called. Did you know that the way for all the royals in really ancient times, the only people they trusted to be around the royals, to be the real servants, the hardcore slaves, the eunuchs, was that guy Grey Worm on that freaking show, the TV show that is so disgusting. But that, what are they doing? That's why I'm saying is something's going on in the psychology of it, and what's it's it's ancient. And so they're basing the stuff on things that happened in the past, but I think even in the past, that was slavery. It was not a personal choice. You know what I mean? And so if you're basing any of this stuff saying, we're looking at history, well, I can look at history and I see a whole bunch of eunuchs who were slaves. Now, do you think that was on purpose? Did, did they choose that? There's a lot to unpack here. 13-year-olds should not be unpacking this. I'm going to keep telling you I'm not a victim because I did this. It's, it's me too. I take responsibility. And I will also say that I will think about this the rest of my life and beat myself up the rest of my life. And mostly I can't forgive myself because of all those videos and because of things I said, because of what I was repeating those psychologists. It was basically parroting their words. It wasn't me. It was, I got into this thing. It's like, a, if somebody tells you enough times you're in enough pain and you're hurt enough, and they keep saying it to you over and over and over again, you're gonna believe it. Kids are in pain, kids suffer. It's teenagers, they all do, right? And with the constantly being bombarded with a way to be happy. 
hey, you're going to be happy if you do this. You're going to be happy. To, and I'm suffering. I'm, I'm a kid and I'm 13 years old. I'm getting bullied and depressed. And, and I hate my life because I'm a kid, a 13 year old. And somebody's saying, you're going to be happy if you do this. You're going to be happy if you do this. You're going to be happy. No. Well, sorry. I just. Yeah, no, I. I'm a lot. So it's so spot on. Coercion and fraud are, are used in trafficking, but they're, they're abusive um, tactics. And that what we're seeing that is being done right now to kids is abuse. And we know that this is scientific and, and this is going to, you know, I'm, I'm receiving this question to Courtney with her knowledge in, in, in the field that she has, you know, navigated. But what's happening, this isn't science, because if you go in and you're controlling the variable and the outcome is predetermined, that's not science. Affirmative care model means you can only affirm the you know, dysphoria essentially, and affirm it with one solution, which is to put them on, you know, hormones or potentially surgery to transition. It's not dealing with any of the other comorbidities, the other mental health components. It's not resolving them. It's not treating them. This, there's nothing scientific about this. So that's fraudulent science. Now we we'll talk about coercion, what you just brilliantly stated. They're using coercion, the love bombing, the celebrations, the parades, the recruitment of these hospitals like Vanderbilt recruiting kids at pride events with rainbows, the pamphlets, come get your hormones. And then we talk about the, the incentive, the, the financial incentive. Each kid walking around represents millions of dollars, even billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to unpack that, that this is not science. This is not about the best outcomes for the child. This is exploitive and it's experimental. Yeah. So take it away. You know, what are your thoughts about that? The way I kind of was approaching this whole thing is kind of like a, a trifecta in a way. I took my, my knowledge in biology and I paired that with an intense study in anthropology on cult sect activity. And then I and then I also brought in the women and gender studies. And when I was just kind of looking at the three of those and how they all paired in this triangle, you could very easily see that transgender ideology is is cultish and it's not science based at all, because if this organization, if this community genuinely cared about children and you were to want to say, well, what happens, you would have a control group, the women the men, the biological control. But in this ideology, there can be no control. There can't be a woman who says, I'm happy to be a woman, and there can't be a man that says, I'm happy to be a man. In order to enter this ideology, you have to completely lose yourself. When I entered into women and gender studies, I was a victim of domestic violence. I was abused. And so I went into this for a lot of different reasons. One, how can I help women get out of abusive situations? And two, with gender, you know, at the age of 15, I lost all of my hair to alopecia, you know, at the critical point in time when I was coming into womanhood and it was stripped away from me. This attachment with hair is a whole separate thing, that it, but it's important because this, this idea of hair and what it means goes even into the drag world. It's a massive deal for women to have hair, for drag queens to have big hair. So hair and womanhood are bonded very tightly together in our society. So I know what it feels like to not feel like I fit in with the gender standards, you know, that have been established for me. So I understood going into all of this, all the complicated feelings that everyone would feel. And what I, what I came to realize is that science does not exist. And that if you bring up any question, well, well, what about people that detransition? 
Or what about you're teaching me gender is fluid? If you're teaching in women and gender studies that gender is fluid, why would you then be advocating for permanent changes to someone's gender? The hypocrisy was insanely difficult to swallow day in and day out. And it's, and it's not anyone's fault. And I think this is what's really misunderstood is that the people that are taking these classes and, and understanding what women and gender is and the people that are advocating and, and I'll be the first to say, like, I, I, had, I had dipped my toes in the social justice warrior pool. I can say I stood in it for a minute. I went to marchers. I, I did all this because I was tunneled into that way of thinking. It was also really important to know is when you enter into this ideology, especially as a woman, and I think that's why we're seeing this rise of male to female transitions is because I had to completely get rid of all of my identity to enter into this women and gender studies field. I could not be a woman. I could not be a white woman. And if I was, I had, I had to take on white guilt, white tears, white privilege, and all these other negative things. So basically, in order to enter in as an ally, I had to accept that I was an abuser. So I came out of abuse seeking help, and I had to change my identity, become an abuser, accept that I was an abuser in order to help women and, and people that I saw suffering exactly the same ways I did. But, but I couldn't identify with them. We were not the same. I had to be separate from everybody else because I was white. And this, this, is, this is what they're teaching. So this, this ideology, this, this trans ideology is spawning and it's, it's being catalyzed by self-hatred that is taught. It's taught in elementary schools with CRT, white people hate themselves. I literally thought I was having a PTSD episode in the middle of my women and gender studies courses because I was in such self-loathing. I had stuff hooked up to my brain. I had to go to my doctor and I said, I think my PTSD is getting the best of me right now because I wow. hate myself. Class after class after class, white privilege, white hate. I had to drop classes because a white professor told me that white people and white supremacy, those words are interchangeable in her class. So they are teaching people to hate. And then you already at 13 years old going through puberty, you're like, life sucks. I hate myself. I don't fit in. Everything around me is, you know, I'm different than everything. And they take that and they take that desire, that innate human desire to want to change and to want to help people. And they use it just like a cult leader would come here. I'll help you change the world. You will be something greater than yourself. I want I'm going to make you that. Yeah, I want to help. And it's a scam. That's fascinating. I mean, honestly, your experiences, both of you, it's it's fascinating. And I think you guys are an example for so many people. And you, I, I don't know that you realize it, but you, but you are because, you know, you both came from worlds and have experienced worlds that not everybody has. And you have the ability through your stories to really reach them. And I think, you know, my next question sort of goes into that for you, Courtney. When you were dipping your toes into that social justice, you know, movement and, you know, everybody thinks, I mean, the ideas sound nice. That's why people get into them. The idea of social justice. I mean, there's nothing in that phrase that anybody should go, oh, that's dangerous or bad because everybody wants justice. Everybody wants social good. You want people right. to be equally. 
But the reality is very different. Like you just said, it doesn't actually mean any of the words that, you know, are sort of catchy and used. Right. My my question here is, do you think part of the reason that within those confines of, of that bubble that's been created where everything's filled with white guilt and hatred and, you know, oppression and everything's about all these things, do you think that there's also an intentional misunderstanding of what the other half of America or sort of normal America is like, because, you know, I see a lot of these ideas that were these hateful, racist, you know, bigoted, Nazi, crazy. I mean, every ism and, and ist you can think of. And the reality is just so far and away different because like for, for us, we're not anomalies. Us and all of our friends, I don't hate anybody. I mean, I don't have well, you know, who do you have sex with in, in your bed? As long as you're with a consenting adult, like that's your business. If you're a great person and you're nice and you're kind, those are the things I value in a friend. Are you a kind, nice person who makes good choices and treats people the right way? And I think that's generally how everybody I know who's like a Christian conservative thinks, you know, is, mm -hmm. is hey, I'm going to judge you by your actions and not any of these things that are honestly immutable characteristics. And that's sort of the fascinating thing about social justice movements is, you know, it's just entered on these immutable characteristics that we can't control. We don't choose it. I don't choose to be Latino. She didn't choose to be Scottish. 100% Scottish, mind you. <laughs> I always make fun of her because she got one of those tests. And, um, you know, I'd like everybody's like, their tests are all these things. Mine, Mine's incredible. I mean, I have like everything under the sun, okay? And she's like, okay, I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. And, you know, and it was... You are 100% Scottish. <laughs> and she was almost let down because of that, that programming, you know? Um, and I think, I think it's something interesting that people understand that there's an intentional miseducation within those social justice movements that are happening at colleges to teach them that this other world out there is this hateful, ignorant place Damn, that has no education. And the reality is just so different. Right. Yeah. And actually the, the class, uh, I think we were just a few days into the class and we were talking about Sojourner Truth, um, a speech that she had done and the ways in which it was translated, you know, and, and the ways in the communities it differed, you know, how it was translated because you wouldn't want to give something that's maybe well academically written to a slave community. They're not going to be able to understand it. So we were talking about the ways in which this message was delivered amongst the people and it, it got brought up in the chat this was a zoom class by a student that i had, had other classes with with no other issues uh, you know thought highly of her she she made a comment um and she said white people love to make us sound stupid now when we're talking about in the context of a class something that happened in the past and the comment that was made was a present, future, now comment. White people love to do this. And so I commented, no, you know, white people don't love to make you or anyone sound stupid. Well, that caused an uproar. Me defending myself caused an uproar in the class. So the next class meeting, the professor apologized to the rest of the class, essentially for my behavior and for her even acknowledging the fact that I had a problem with this interchangeable term of white people and white supremacy. And that's where, when she made it very clear to the class that the terms white people and white supremacy were interchangeable. I was floored, dumbfounded, just in shock. Like I just could not. And, and, and I thought to myself, I grew up in Ohio. 
where in elementary school, part of our field trips were to go to the homes of people who had provided spaces for the Underground Railroad. Big, huge houses. They weren't Black Americans that were owning these big, huge houses. They were white people that were risking their lives, their familyhood to house these people and get them to safety. And I thought, do those people not exist? Were they awful? Is everyone, like everything in those academics, no good white person can exist unless they are queer and advocating for for minority rights. But they poisoned everything. I mean, they poisoned everything, everything good and moral that, that, that built the country. You know, the people who stood up and, and you know, abolitionists who were white, who put they their lives on life and literally died in the act of saving people with another skin color because right. they understood that what was happening was wrong. Those people's descendants are now treated as if they were slave owners themselves. 100%. And that's, that's you know, the toxic reality of what has grown from the social justice movements. And I think the more people understand this from voices who have been a part of it and experienced it, honestly, I would encourage you, Courtney, to do a whole podcast series on these issues about deconstructing what you were taught versus what reality is to open the eyes to people who are in that social justice movement because there is very few people doing anything along those lines to go and open up up sort of hearts and minds and i think you have the capacity to totally do that because this is like a, a fascinating subject totally on its own just getting into right. this stuff because the the ills and the dangers and the harms being done by that ideology in itself is interconnected with what happened to these kids that we've been talking about who have been put on hormones and everything else because mm -hmm. they're also being poisoned with this other ideology. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Well, That's why we got to talk about it on the same show is because it is all connected. Every one of, bit of this. One of the major connections that's made in this ideology that white people, that term white people also is attached to straight people. Yep. Yeah. That's the connecting piece. So if, so if you're, you're white straight black and man. straight, good luck. I mean, yep. you will have to destroy yourself, destroy your self-identity, take on a completely new one, question your sexuality and do well, all of this. Is, I know this is slightly off topic, but I, I'm curious what you think about it. So, you know, I'm Latino and uh, my family came from another country. They're immigrants, but I'm guilty of wrong things because of my politics. And so what's happened over the past like two, three years is Latinos have had this massive shift away from the Democratic Party. I mean, massive. It'll be the whole story of the 2022 midterms is how many Latinos go and turn out and vote Republican after voting Democrat for decades and decades and decades. And what's happened in conjunction with that is the media now refers to Latinos as white people. Um, so, and, and it's kind of funny. I mean, it's honestly, I have to laugh at it because my whole life I'm told by Democrats on the left and the media that, you know, you're you're treated differently if you're Latino and you're discriminated against. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry, but my life experience has been that even my my mom, you know, couldn't speak English when she came to this country. She was never treated in any sort of racist way by American citizens ever. You know, in fact, the only people who I've ever heard racism from from the lips of them to directed at me or my family had been from prominent Democrats. Yep. And so that irony of now we're white people. Can you explain that and break that down for me? How that works in the social hierarchy? How we, I, I, I don't know if I can really fully explain that, but I'll give you a really funny story. So and it's slightly embarrassing, but here we are. 
So I, you know, I served 12 years in the military, dedicated patriot. I love America. I'm just in tours overseas. I had never voted. I, honest to God, could not tell you there's four terms, liberal, Democrat, conservative, Republican. I knew they existed. Which ones went together was beyond me. So I'm in I'm in women and gender studies and it's like this push to vote. You know, there's this I, I will I will say that I I think that the Democratic voters do push a little bit harder than to vote than than the conservatives. So maybe that's something that needs to be addressed because they I mean, the the push to vote was extreme and it's 2020 election. I've never voted on anything, nothing. So I registered to vote. I had a lot of questions. Things had started to kind of unwire, I would say. There were a couple of online accounts that I had found. Officer Tatum was one of the first ones that was kind of like, She's good. Hmm. <laughs> he does not fit the narrative that I'm I am being forced to make, ex- you know, yeah. like he is. So let me listen to what he says. And just I started finding accounts that really were confusing. I think that there was uh, a maybe a uh, Brokeback Patriot, a conservative gay account. I was like, what is this? These people exist because in that ideology, they don't exist. They're not talked about. They cannot exist because if they exist, it totally breaks the bubble. Yep. So with all this push to vote, I, I simply went on and did the couple hours, went down every, went down the candidates, went down every policy, and I just did check marks. And when it got down to it, I mean, there was obviously topics that I think most Americans are a little touchy about where it's not like clear one way or the other where you're like, "Eh, you know, I this needs to be discussed. And so I kind of put those off to the side. But when it when it came down to it, I was more conservative. Yeah. And so going back into my classes where they're all like, are you going to vote? Like, it's so excited. I felt like a fraud. Like I was in. I was like, oh my gosh, like I cannot face these people. I'm not them. And they're going to see it and they're going to sniff me out. And I and I know how that us them works and othering when you're not part of it. And it's vicious. And I, I was nervous. I was like, what if what if they find out I'm a conservative? I'm over with. I'm never I will have no credibility. They won't want my help. Nothing I can do or say is ever going to matter. So I felt like I had to I had to hide that. The system they built intentionally is to to make you fear just being yourself, which is why the importance of yes. this is why the internet has broken the political paradigms of the past hundred years because hundred percent it allowed people to see unicorns that didn't exist. People like me aren't supposed to exist. You know, there's not supposed to be conservative men with uh, a man bun who are Latino who are totally accepting of you know all these different types of people and everything. It's not supposed to exist, but we do exist. You know, people like Officer Tatum exist. People like Candace Owens exist. People like Brokeback Patriot exist. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's real. This is an right. ideology that goes much further. It's almost the way I've described it, the way you've described it really well is like, there's like this innate sense of morality that leads you towards certain beliefs. And you can't deny that no matter what other peripheral identity you've been given whether it be you're Latino, you're Black, or whatever it is, you can't deny that innate morality. Both groups of people, both the left and the right, have that innate pull within them to save people. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't, it's not that the left is full of bad people. In my experience, the people that are in there that encompass these studies that end up voting democratically are, are sad. 
they're depressed, they're sad, they need love. I mean, I can't even tell you in all of those classes how many sad people were in there. And it's not that they're they're thinking in their minds, I'm I'm going to push transgender and transgenderism to ruin the world. I mean, in their minds, they've been so convinced into thinking that that their life means nothing, but at least they can save someone else's. That's this, you know, it's it's a it's really it's a tribe of really genuinely good people who are being led in the, the way wrong direction and they're so filled with fear about the others that they're unwilling to take in any valid information and then cognitive dissonance comes into play where they're just like no i don't trust you i'm not going to take in the facts and it it's going to take long hours and sitting with people and getting into people's hearts and saying hey we're the same you know i i'm you know you might not look at me the same as you, but I am the same. Like, I know what it feels like to feel like you, whether you think I do or not. You know, most of this ideology lives in what they think about others versus how others are actually treating them. You know, it's how is someone going to treat me and versus how is someone treating me right now? You know, or if someone treats them good, it's like, well, they want something. They're being fake. That's that's white tears. That doesn't mean anything. And so even if you are genuinely good, they don't want to see it. It's a it's a really hard shell of pain that is around the majority of those people that's that's we're now seeing come out in surgeries. Like they're so desperate that they're cutting themselves. And the parents are so desperate to fit in with this ideology because of the fear of the us them. They don't want to be othered. So now they're using the children as these trophies of like, look at me. I'm so I'm such a great ally. I have a child that I'm accepting of. And it's just, it's a nightmare. So many parallels as you're talking. And, and you know this, you know, surviving domestic abuse. And I, I know this work with survivors. It, it, it's just, it's so striking to me. It's the same tactics. It's like identical. You know, I'm deceiving you and, and, and you have an enemy that isn't real. But the thing that you've highlighted here is that essentially these people are vulnerable people being exploited. Mm-hmm. And they don't even recognize if they're on victimhood. They don't even recognize no survival mode. Their brain is in a traumatic state. They've had their entire identity deconstructed. They don't know who they are. They don't like who they are. And so what is the solution? The solution is to adopt a new identity. And the transgender movement or agenda is not actually about gender dysphoria resolving it. It's not. It's it's about, and this is what I was going to ask you about, Chris, and Maybe I'm reading too deep into this, so you could tell me if I'm wrong, but in some way is the 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 lifeline of you can change your identity, a way to kill your old identity, suicide, still survive. Yeah. And you just come out on the other side, no longer is the 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 oppressor, no longer is the white person the yeah. you get to be somebody else meaningful and powerful and celebrated. I mean, I percent. I mean, everything you said, I, it all rings true. Mm-hmm. The fact that, and when she was studying cultism and all the women gender studies, and then what I was doing in psychology, it really was like the perfect storm of like good because she was able to share so much of her knowledge that she had from her point of view. And then when I was going through all the courses, I went through all the human development. I went through like almost all of it. And again, high honors, yet academic probation. 
because I bucked the system because I went against a professor. Now that's sacred. It's like that's the problem is that if they think that their 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 narrative is so sacred that you can't even speak out against it, as soon as you say something, you're you're like out. You're ousted. You're excommunicated. You are a Nazi, and they they ramp it up so fast. So after this releases immediately, well, I think I'm already thrown out of the community and I've already been ostracized by almost all of it, but I am going to be one of those people that is thrown out of the cult. And I don't want to, you'll be accepted by, you'll be accepted by a much larger group of, of people who just believe in truth and and honor and and dignity and, you know, be real. Because but, that but, but us. it's it's more of the us against them, which is what I'm trying to get rid of. I don't want to be on an us or the them. I don't want them to be all use their narratives and their, their cults. And I keep saying it over and over again because it really rings true. The tactics they use and how they do it and the entire treatment of all of it is just so, it's, it's bad. I think there's a, a really a key word that needs to be highlighted and really focused on. And that word, if you backpedal all of this as far back as you can, what's missing is a sense of family. Mm-hmm. The children can't go to their parents. Yeah. You know, there's adults who suffer from this who can't go to their parents. And then you have a society that pushes divorce and sexuality and we've got Tinder and every kind of hookup app. Mm-hmm. And so all of this, in my opinion, because of the sadness and the depression and the despair and the anxiety, it all boils down to these people, grown and children, do not have a sense of family and love. So what happens is, is they can't tell their mom or dad that they feel so awful or they feel like they're the opposite gender. And so they're immediately taken into this family. And in the drag community, these these are called drag houses and these are family names. You take on the family name of the home. In the class that I took, we watched a, a really well done documentary. And in it, it was talking about a young, uh, a child who had entered the drag community, I think 14, 15 years old. And it talks about the mother, like the, the mother of the house, the house mom. And I asked, you know, are these house moms making sure that these abandoned children go to school? They're not. They're taking these these children, a lot of young boys that feel disconnected from society, probably because of queer phobia, homophobia and all that stuff that we went through in the 80s. And they're internalizing that they have nowhere to go. So they enter this house with a family. They take on a new name and they're they're loved. And what people don't see is where where does that go? Where do you go outside of this house? How do you survive outside of the house? The same issue is still happening. Whether you're living in a drag house or you're living in your in your family house, you cannot. They're not being taught how to survive and stand on their own outside of those environments. So if you get into a drag house, I mean, the majority of your love and companionship is only going to come there. You're still not going to get it from the outside world. You haven't been taught that. So you're just going from one family dynamic problem that's going to have unresolved issues, and they're being adopted into a new one that's giving them love and attention and, and making them someone. But, you know, are they going to school? Are they learning how to love themselves? You know, no. A lot of them get killed, murdered on the streets. So the problem is still that these... A lot of prostitution. Yeah. There's no how to, how to, how to love yourself enough to 
manage yourself in society, how to get a, a, a job and or go to college. It's it's how can in that world, my own perspective of studying it, it seemed like we are going to take you in and you are going to make us profit. Prostitution. Prostitution. You're going to be a drag star. We're going to fund all your outfits and your costumes. And and some of the queens that came and spoke in the class, one of them in particular who identifies as trans now, was talking about their story and said, you know, I was I was a gay man. I was super depressed one night. I went over to a friend's house and they said, hey, can I just dress you up in drag? And so just for fun, the guy said, yeah, just do it. Well, they went out and that guy dressed in drag got all the attention he hadn't been getting for years. And he said, at that point, I realized that, yeah, maybe I'm trans. I mean, this is in, you know, this person spoke to us in a drag class, you know, an academic drag class. And in that same class, the professor is tearing up pictures of the Texas governor and saying, leave trans kids alone and pushing the trans agenda on kids. So it's like you're having speakers come to us who say, who clearly say they weren't trans at birth, that this is something that is attention-based or they're unsure, but you're wanting us to bite off on this permanent, you know, decision for children. It just... So there's like an attention-based, attention-based, because a person is suddenly now so popular and amazing. Mm-hmm. kind of happened to me too. I was also escaping that old, you know, warrior that I just couldn't, it was hard to live with anymore with all those opiates and pain and everything else. And then there's also some sexual components. So you can figure that there's three pathways towards being become transgender and all three of them aren't really transgender. You know, one is attention-based, one is trauma-based and one is sexual-based. If you look at where all this came from, uh, I have a whole list of names. Alfred Kinsey is a big one. Who is that other one? There's a there's a few funny psychologists. John yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. There's a few key psychologists who did the entire gender ideology is one. Then you get into the uh, sexual revolution and modern sexuality. And then postmodernism is also part of it. You take all of this together, that's the trans identity. And then you start wrapping in CRT and self-hate and loathing and everything else, which will make a whole group of people hate themselves even more, which makes it easier to become transgender. Because now you have more of the attention, you have more of the other trauma stuff. So they're making a pathway. It's like they're greasing the skids. I think I think it's important. So we brought up Alfred Kinsey a couple of times. I think it's important people understand some stuff about him. Can you explain to people the the studies he did on on babies and little kids? Doctor Alfred Kinsey was a prolific pedophile. He raped children as part of research. He documented the rape of children. He incentivized it. It was scientifically funded by even institutions that are well-respected today. In fact, there's a uh, uh, Kinsey uh, Institute at the University of Indiana, a monument that was just erected. In, in, they literally just put a statue up of him. him. And so his his research fundamentally, you know, has this premise that kids are sexual from birth. And mm-hmm. he got this, you know, conclusion based upon raping, raping children, sexually abusing children um, and documenting what he perceived as sexual pleasure, uh, which was screaming and, fighting and passing out. So this flawed scientific research, and this is like all these parallels that keep coming up, is what substantiated the sexual revolution and all the other, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, protégés that came from his his foundation, scientific basis. And that's what we're dealing with today with the, the, the simultaneous sexual attack 
on children, sexualizing children, at the same time as the trans thing. It all goes hand in hand with the drag culture, all of these things. And, but, you know, I, I wanted to take it a little bit different direction because this is the, this is the ultimate thing. Courtney, you touched on this. Chris, you touched on this. What is the end result here? And who benefits? The end result is the destruction of the individual, the identity, and the family, the nuclear mm -hmm. family, the strongest force we have that preserves right. our innate morality, those lines of what makes pedophilia wrong, not because it's a social construct, but because it, we know innately it is wrong. The same way a mother, when she has a child, knows to nurture it and bring it to her breast, not because somebody told her to, not because it's a social construct, it is innately hardwired. So all of that is under attack, and they can destroy that foundation that is the only mechanism standing up against any of this from sticking we're the problem so the, the end result is destroying that family because the family is the, the only thing left reminding children who their true identity is where they get their love from all of those things you know what's happening to families there is a degree of homophobia all of these who things benefits? Or, or children, yeah well many people benefit unfortunately a system of control and, and oppression the true oppressors benefit Many people do, but what we're talking about, there is a degree of that. Yes, that's a problem. But there's also the fact that schools are keeping secrets from parents. So parents no. don't even have the opportunity to get involved to protect their kids. This signifier of abuse is telling kids to keep secret. It's predatory. It's grooming. Mm -hmm. and so I, I've dealt with these families that their kids have rapid onset gender dysphoria because of school, not because okay. they actually so creating these embedded vulnerabilities down. And they have a child and they're afraid to get their child help because there is no help. There's only affirmative care model. So they know that if they take their kid to get mental health care, they're gonna end up with a kid who's demanding hormones now. Mm -hmm. Right. This is this is where we're trapped. It's like these they're parents afraid. don't have nowhere to help their kids. Their kids are not getting mental health care. We have these underground, you know, networks, mm -hmm. therapists that don't want their name out there because they don't want to, you know, be deplatformed or you know, have their lose their license. So this is how you know. You can't question it. You can't you can't push up against it. This is an conversion therapy. Yes, exactly. I feel like the the hatred is so deep rooted. And if we were to go all the way back on why this is being pushed and then why it's so split now, and I really think that you know whatever your political beliefs are, the amount of raw, vile hate that was viewed against Donald Trump. Now, this is where it's important because Donald Trump represented the conservative party. So that's millions of people that although it's directed really prominently towards one, it's engulfed in millions and millions of people. So you take that living raw hate that's so powerful in so many people's hearts right now and then anything that's even remotely associated that with that is going to get sucked in like a black hole and equivalently hated just as much. Yep. And so this ideology, because it's, you know, left more left accepted, is creating this hatred that is so scary for people because they've witnessed it and lived in it for four years that nothing they want to do, they don't want to do anything that puts them on the side of hate. Whether even if that means cutting up their their children's chest, they are so fearful of the hatred that's been pushed for so many years and even come out of their own mouths that if they were to turn the table on that now, that's a that's that's more than most people are are, are able to do. It's cowardness 
to say, hey, I was wrong. And I'm, they would rather dig the hole and keep digging. And that that would include taking their kids down with them. And that's I think that's where this started, because in academics, the amount of hatred I saw coming out of these people was unbelievable. And you think that hate, you take that hate. Where did that hate go when people didn't want to get vaccinated? That was associated with Trump. So then there were people who maybe didn't even vote for Trump, who just simply were too ill to take on an experimental vaccine, who were then lumped into that. So when you have a boiling pot of hate so bad living within you, anything that even remotely even smells like that, it's going to go right into the pot. And so now anyone who talks against this this narrative, this ideology is lumped into that hate. Oh, you must be a Trumper or you are this. And so now there's just tons of people in this boiling hate Trump bucket that maybe have or don't have anything to do with it. But the way society is so split, I mean, it would be I'm worried. What we have seen recently is something that has not been seen in a long, long time. Yeah. Where the person sitting next to you, if they knew one thing about you, no matter how many years you have loved on them and cared for them, if they knew one thing, you didn't get a vaccine. You're not against, you know, children getting their boobs cut off. You might have voted for Trump or you're conservative. If they knew maybe one of those details, no matter how good you were and how good you've been, they could be your own child. You do not care. They are othered. This this us them is so strong. That we're we're looking like you really have to study sex behaviors to really understand the grip that 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 is in these people and and the scale of dehumanization. Yeah, the point where we're just one step close to saying, yeah, get rid of these people. They already say it. They already have. I mean, yeah. The scary about this is like forget a conversation. We're, we might be the last conversation that we have about these you know things because we're not even allowed to have these conversations. If this was an Instagram live, it would be banned. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. You know, that's the level of desperation we're at. Well, that's that's the crazy thing is like this whole thing can be packaged for rumble. People can watch like a long form of it without us fearing it being gone. But like for things like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we have to edit this down and condense it into something that is like, you know, hopefully a gateway for people to see the whole thing, because it's important to understand the entirety of this problem, because, you know, right. like you guys were getting into who benefits? And the truth is the people who benefit from this entire agenda of sexualizing children, destroying the nuclear family, attacking your natural sort of instincts as a woman and as a man, because they're, they're, they're going after those areas too. And it's, it's sort of weird because these are the same people who used to say, you know, oh, don't say that a boy can't play with uh, princess stuff. And then we said, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. Boys can play, play with whatever girls play with whatever. And then they said, oh, that boy's playing with princess stuff. He must be a girl. We need to put him on hormones. It's all, you know, I mean, everything blows up when you actually follow it down the line and you go, okay, well, let's take one idea to the next, what happens. And it all results in the destruction of everything that has been sort of traditional and good throughout history for humanity. And so and I think one of the things people miss, too, is when we talk about, you know, these ideas of masculinity and femininity, a lot of people get stuck on thinking there's only one way to be masculine or one way to be feminine. Those point themselves are just destructive ideas, because the truth is, is that there's some women who are naturally very strong protectors. Yeah. Right. Even though 
the vast majority of men have those protective instincts. There's also a subset of men who have no protective instinct in their entire system at all. And they'll be the first people to run from a fight. And so that's the other thing that, you know, I think a truth that needs to be told eventually to a nation of, of children is that, look, you're perfectly made. You may not be, you know, this super macho masculine guy. That doesn't mean you're not masculine. Doesn't mean you're not a boy. You know, or you may be a girl who is a tomboy. There's nothing wrong with you. You were made perfect as you are. And I think giving that love to kids and, and reinforcing that there was not a mistake made with you. You're you're good enough. You're not just good enough. You're special and unique. Those, those words have the ability to move hearts and move nations and mountains. But the actions that we see going on right now to destroy biology, destroy children, destroy everything righteous and good, that all goes to benefit a group of people who just want power and money at the cost of lives. And this is no different than the wars of the past that you know so well, Chris. We've had nations of politicians okay with spilling the blood of people who served with you, who were good men and good women, who were just kids of people who loved America and they grew up with the right ideals of wanting to protect our country, protect our freedoms. And some people in rooms with just unlimited money decided their lives were worth oil or whatever it was at the time. And it resulted in these moments that have been catastrophic for humanity. And now instead of soldiers, they're using the blood of children and transgender clinics to change culture and society to bring them more power, bring them more subservience from the people, because ultimately they want control. And the way to get to control is to break apart the nuclear family and separate these children and make them dependent on daddy government. That is the end goal here. It's why you just saw Governor Newsom in California make California a sanctuary state for transgender kids so that they can leave and run away from their homes in the other parts of America and receive gender affirming care where the state of California will help them transition and hide from their parents and will take so on the role of being mommy or daddy for that child and get that family that never says no. And that is what is so dangerous. It's all done in service of power and greed and mm-hmm. consistently tearing apart everything that's sort of been moral and good. Is that, is that how you see it too? I mean, a hundred percent. What you just said about uh, California, I didn't even know that. I'm not surprised, though. I think California's population is just fleeing the state because of their policies. And then so they're trying to attract new people. So what better to do than attract all the transgender people all to California? You know what I mean? Is that the tactic that California's taking? Sounds like it. So, you know, and so instead of changing the policies that are making the, the state fail, they're adding new failed policies on top. It doesn't even make any sense. And I think that's the problem is the foundation of these folks are so ingrained in this hatred that Courtney was talking about and they're so stuck on where they are that if they even apologize for one little thing, then the whole deck of cards falls apart, it all falls, and then they're responsible for all of it. And so right now they have to double down, they have to triple down, and have to stick with it to the end because if they give up one part of that, then everything fails. I mean, does that make sense? Absolutely. Sounds like it. Right in my mind now, because the, the rate, the parental rights are being removed. Yep. 
on a medical level, on a you know, sexuality level, and the state is saying, we're, we're here, we're your parents now. I mean, that we're talking about transfer of wealth, you know, the communism to, you know, what's happening in it. And when you have a social revolution or, you know, communist revolution, we're talking about the transfer of our most precious commodity children from the nuclear family to the state. That's what we're dealing with here on a mass scale. Medical, you know, exploitation is just the, the mechanism that this is fitting into. This is the convenient thing because you can convince parents now that they're giving their kids health care mm-hmm. and that they're they're truly doing the yeah. the, the loving moral thing. Yeah. And that's all it takes to, to, to sacrifice your own child. And, and then the parents can fly the flag and be part of the crowd. That's right. And it makes them happy. You know how many children are going to be exploited and trafficked, being incentivized now to flee their families and their homes, run away to sanctuary cities to get their whatever affirmative care and love bombing awaits them? This is so dangerous. The, the, the mechanisms of war, though, haven't changed. If you're going to physical war, you're, you want kids, 18-year-olds. We're only told 18-year-olds are adults because that's what we're told. But look back at when we're 18. Are any of were any of us adults? No. No. We only think 18 is the magic number because that's when the the government ends your your schooling that they're going to give you. But the government using children for war is not a new concept. You know, I enlisted when I was 20. I was still a child. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know I was subjecting my body to a slew of who knows what I was injected. I would have never made those same decisions now. But the same vulnerabilities, the same need for me to change other people's circumstances to not match my own in physical war is the same thing that they're doing in a culture war. They're taking the children who are so desperate to not feel how they feel and they don't want other people to feel how they feel. And those are the people they're going to recruit, the people that do the, 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 the fighting for them. And if you're fighting over the culture of our country, you're still going to choose vulnerable children you know that are disconnected from their families it's the exact same thing most people that go off to join the military when they're 18 or 19 aren't like this with their families aren't aren't loving the life that they're in it's just the 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 scope of war has changed but the people are still the same the people that are still fighting the left are veterans of a different war they don't know what they're doing you know we're adults we're looking at it from our perspective of oh i went through that I know what you're doing. Please don't do this. But they're going to do it anyways because in their mind, just like in my mind, you know, when I signed up after 9-11, I thought I'm going to go kill the bad people and do whatever I can to protect my people and, and myself. They think they're doing the exact same thing against our 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 own government. Well, and that, that speaks to another point where you were saying about everything just boiling to this really dangerous point. They do see this like a terrorist event yeah and that means they see us yes as terrorists that's terrorists. yeah and that's a very very important point for people mm-hmm. to understand yeah we've reached what i think is a breaking point mm-hmm. i've said this recently uh, i've quietly thought it for a long time and didn't want to say it for a number of reasons because there's a lot of dangers involved with it but i do think we're at such a breaking point that you have to talk about it i think we are headed towards best case scenario the balkanization of the united states yep where we really break into two separate countries because if this was a relationship you know everybody would be saying 
you're crazy if you stay in it. This is an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. You can't agree on anything. You're at each other's throats. You hate each other. You you call each other the worst names in the book. Like mm-hmm. this is not healthy yeah. for anybody involved. You need to go your separate ways. Mm-hmm. That's best case scenario. I don't even want to go into worst case mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. And the truth is you get there by part of society being convinced that the other part are terrorists or subhuman. Yes. And what do I get in my inbox on a daily basis? I get called a maggot mm-hmm. or I get called a terrorist, you know, and um, put on a national enemy or I get put on a national enemies list by the U.S. government. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that yesterday. That I, no. the, the U.S. government actually helped pay over $12 million to four entities that oh, right. together make up the election. Wow integrity partnership and they made an enemies list where it's 21 people and i'm one of the 21 along with the trump family and some of my friends like Charles. wow that's awesome yeah no it's doing really well it's like the biggest of, trophy you could have ever gotten yeah, I know. it's almost like a must follow list in, in a weird way but i would print the list and like frame it <laughs> oh that's actually a good idea i'm gonna do that that might actually go on the wall back here so you're a conservative, you're a conservative Christian. I see everything you do. I see what you're doing with your wife and how you're promoting a family unit. And I love that. It's something I learned the hard way how important family is because I, I have a family now and the love that I, I don't think I've really had for a long part of my life, that's what's being destroyed. And I came on here on purpose. I like I said, Matt Walsh, some information. I said, hey, this is me. This is what I want to do. I want to do this interview. The reason I came on here with you and not like Fox or CNN or something like that was because it it needed to be something like this. Because right now you've been telling a ton of truth. Matt's also been telling a lot of truth. And everybody on the entire so- other side is bashing Matt and you and everyone else that's just trying to help. And the thing is that all those folks on the left and all those kids who are transgender, all those kids who are confused or whatever's going on, you have to understand Robbie and his wife care they're trying to help you. If if you're a transgender, I think that they'll say, yeah, if that's you, then go. But there's a lot of kids that are being pulled with you. We're trying to save the kids that are being pulled, the kids that are being talked into this. And if, that's why I want to talk to you, because there's so much truth that Robbie's saying. There's so much truth that Matt Walsh is saying, even though you hate all these folks so much, because you don't listen to what they're saying. As soon as you see their names, you're going, oh, if I hate Nazis, and you start just bashing them. And the thing is, the parents, you're believing it. You're believing the hype against Robbie. You're believing the hype against Matt. You believe you're going to believe the hype against me soon. But the thing is, is I want you to pay attention to what we're saying. We don't care if, if you're transgender, LGBTQ. Go, go do that and live a great life. That's the Christian way. Is like you have your stuff. I have mine, and I have my family, and I have my beliefs, and I have my Jesus. I have my God. I have my everything. You have yours. Okay, go. Now, what you're doing right now is you're making me an enemy because of my beliefs. And you're also pulling a lot of kids along with what you believe. Don't pull all those kids along because you're talking them into it. And I think that's the most important part you're missing. That's all we're trying to do. We'll help those kids also. We're going to help as much as we can. We're helping. You know, you make you make an interesting point. And it's something that I've said about the left on a, on a broader term for a long time is that a lot of this entire picture it it works like a pseudo religion like a cult you know i mean they even have you know penance they have to pay and you know 
they're supposed to go to these big events, which is almost like a religious ritual, you know, and, and you're supposed to do these, you know, over the top sort of ritualistic things at these protests. You know, you, you have to submit yourself before it in ways that you really can only compare to religion and somebody submitting themselves before God. And it is interesting that they're using those needs that people have mm-hmm. and perverting it into, you know, you have to change yourself to be able to feel whole. And even then, you know, when you look at the numbers of people who commit suicide, even after transition, yes. we're talking about sky high suicide rates. It's okay. not solving the problem. It does not solve and the problem. That's that's the thing I'm trying to get through to them because you know what I used to say, and I have to say, like I I, I feel bad. I used to say this. I used to say, once you're 18, do whatever you want. Yeah. And Courtney, you touched on this a little bit. And you did too, Chris, in a different way when you said 25 and, and your brain maturity and everything. But Courtney, when you said people need to hear and take heed, when you said this is like if you see somebody cutting themselves, would you just say, you know, you're 18, do whatever you want? No. If you see somebody mutilating their body and cutting themselves, and causing harm and possibly on the path to killing themselves. Like, I think my responsibility as a human being is to step in and say, I care about you. Like, what can we do here to save your life? And it's clearly not this path. You know, it's Mm -hmm. clearly not this, what we see going on when you can look at the suicide rates and know that even Mm -hmm. post-transition, you still have these rates. What can we do to solve the real problem? And stop ignoring it and pretending okay once you're 18 just do what you want and and cut everything off that's not a real solve to the problem now again what you said in terms of a legalistic you know sort of all holistic government approach i do think you know once you're 25 your brain's fully developed you should be allowed legally do whatever you want um but again we can't pretend it's like morally not a problem just because you hit a magic number of 18. yeah there's this group therapy it's called the shock power cure it's a great book there is so much challenging going on in psychology in most psychologists of Schopenhauer, especially, and Kant was very challenging. Jordan Peterson is another great philosopher, psychologist. So I've been bashing psychology a lot, and I've been saying how bad it is and all this. I do want to say that there's a lot of great psychologists out there. There's a lot of great psychiatrists out there. And are the ones like I'm talking about, you have to challenge. And right now, because it's, as soon as you walk in there, you're good. It's the, it's the methodology it's the automatic acceptance. It's the, you can't do that. You know, you have to do some challenge. You have to dig in a little bit. You have to figure out what's going on. You know, if you're just walking into an office and say to the psychiatrist, you're going to self-diagnose this because, wait, I have a doctorate in psychology and I have a 13-year-old walk into my office and a 13-year-old says, I'm transgender. And I'm supposed to just say, yes, you are, and sign papers and give it to them. Now, why do I even have a PhD? Why do I do all the studying? Why do I have all this knowledge so I can help this person? Why aren't they helping? Why do they just come right in and just sign the paperwork? You know, and so I said, I mean, 10 sessions might not be enough, but there has to be a minimum number of sessions that has to be some challenging. You want people to understand and you, and you want these children or whoever is suffering to understand, I love and care about you, right? This is something I think about a lot. I love and care about you. And in those classes, I was, I was saying like, in my mind all the time, you, you don't have to feel this way. Like, I care about you. But that me saying that, you saying that, any person in the world saying that is only going to go so far because your words 
are not going to repair the wounds that are there. You know, my I would have to physically take in those individuals in those classes and care for them as if they are my own for an extended period of time for them to be accepting of love again. Okay, we as a whole, as a society, don't have that much time to nurture and love years on these people. You know, so we say, well, we love and care about you, but we are unable to show that, right? We we can't, what they're craving, what they're needing is something that is takes a long time to establish. It takes a family that you've had for years that you can always turn on. You know, one person in your life that you've had for a long time. And a lot of people simply don't have that. You know, our society is so disbanded that even long-term friendships that you've had for 15, 20 years are really rare. Like if you've had a friend you've had for since you were a little, you're lucky, you know, so the, the, what, what the world is craving right now is, is companionship on such a level that we're, we're struggling to provide it in a quick way because we've adapted to everything right now. And we can't give these kids what they need right now in a way that's going to help them right now. So we have to figure out our love and care, our words is not enough. So what are what can we do to show them? And we can fight for them. We can shut these clinics down and we can do this. But it's still they're seeing that as you're against me. It's still an active against you and I, as we sit here pouring our love and hearts into this, trying to come up with it. We're still seeing seen as against, you know, because it's for some reason our love is not touching them. And I think a reason why it's not touching them is because they are without God and God is the is the is the is what you you have to have it in you for love to come in. And if it's not there, you know, where is it going? So they've destructed the family. They've taken religion out of this. People can't even turn to God for love and support. We need to find a solution. So what what can we do? And so what I thought about was we need to first the children need to know what gender is and where it comes from and how gender can change. You know, we look back at our founding fathers wearing curly white wigs and booted shoes and in hose. So what's expected of you or what society says you should be could change five or 10 years from now. So if you've conformed permanently to this, you know, this idea of what you should be, that might change. Society might change and society might oust you in five years. People, I don't think that children understand that gender is something that all of our thoughts just kind of agree that men like this and women like this. That doesn't mean that those are set in stone. That's just a collective thought. And so I think that there's a disconnect with them thinking, I have to be this way because gender says, but they don't know what gender is or where gender came from. You know, they don't understand it's just society's ideas that couldn't change. You know, or you go to this society and their ideas of gender are totally different. It doesn't have to be something that's, you know, so internalized. And so the problem is, is like a lack of education. Children don't know what trans means. They don't know what gender means. They don't know the difference between masculine and feminine. They don't know that they can have both. They don't know that they can be one more than the other. And they and they they're they're seeking this like acceptance. And so the only way that we are going to have a fighting chance at this is if we teach them how to love themselves so that they're not so dependent on seeking this from society because society we can show them society is going to throw you away no matter what you are if you're a white straight male you're going to get thrown away from society if you're a pedophile so at any given time anything about you you could be 
a white male conservative in a time when conservatives are hated and be ousted. So it doesn't matter what you look like. You can be ousted and othered at any given time. So you have to be able to, they need to learn how to stand true in themselves. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, if they're not taught that, we are going to give them all away. That's where where real joy lies. And, and I think the other thing too that's been sold to kids that is a lie is that joy is something you feel all the time. It's normal to not be okay. It's normal to have bad days. It's normal to go up and down. What I mean by saying joy is found in that love of yourself is that those moments of joy, they start to come more often when you have that, that love for yourself and for your family and the ability to love somebody else truly, where you don't have toxic relationships anymore, where you're really adding value to your partner in life. That comes with loving yourself first. And and that's the, I mean, this is the education the government will never give kids. The government will never, ever, ever want children to be taught this way. And it's why it's so important for parents to take that role on and make sure that their kids know that. And, you know, I I hate to change gears entirely here, but there are some questions I wanted to ask you, Chris. Um, And one of them was, you know, given your experience, given everything you know at this point, uh, this moves on and away from kids into the issue of military and people who are on hormones serving in combat. Is that something that you feel like should be allowed to happen? Because here's here's my issue, and I'll just be upfront with it, is that um, it's not so much about the person being trans. It, it's, it's about the actual necessity of medical care and hormone therapy when you have somebody in combat, because there's plenty of medical conditions that we don't allow people to end up serving in combat with because it creates a weakness for the people to their left and to their right. Because if you go into some sort of medical crisis or are unable to get your medicine and you have severe side effects in battle that affect your ability to think and act and you know really be there for the people who you're supposed to be serving alongside with, it creates danger. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, it, it definitely, I mean, anything that happens that would take away from military readiness is going to be an issue. And that's definitely an issue. If there are medical conditions, if there are, you know, extra anything, it's going to cost the military its readiness. So if you have to make all new bathrooms, you have to do this, you have to have extra surgeries or anything else. And then the thing is, is there's a lot of complications with these surgeries. And that's the part that they don't really talk about yeah. is that this is such a complicated surgery. It's a super complicated surgery, especially for all the lower stuff. And uh, um, if you had if you had a phallioplasty, yeah, I mean, you're out. essentially when you create a yeah. wound too for the ones that go male to female, when you create a wound that has to be consistently yeah. recreated, yeah, that's something that in combat becomes very dangerous for everybody else. Yeah, and, and that's the point I was making too. Yeah. Surgery yeah. wise, it's very complicated and, and there's a lot of complications. So it's a difficult surgery with a lot of complications. That's what you need to consider. And then the really what you really want to consider is is the juice worth the squeeze? You know, if you're only talking about 1% of the population is transgender, which used to be the number is like one or 2%, whatever it was. It's a really low number. And then think about the military population. The military only takes up 1% of our country. So 1% of the entire population and 1% of that, it's like infinitesimally small. So you're talking about what, hundreds, thousands, so a thousand out of millions and millions of people that are in the military. So it just doesn't make any sense. So I look back on what I did in the beginning and I was saying, you know, this is not a big deal. 
And because I was looking at it in my case, because it all happened after the military, it wasn't a big deal. So I wasn't speaking for the people that were actually in and going through all of the stuff. Now, there's a lot of folks that are in, they went through all the surgery, went through all the stuff, and there were zero complications. You know, congratulations, that's great. You know, and you won't have any readiness issues. Nothing's going to be a problem. But you're probably one of very few where there's no other complications. So yeah. that's when you start looking at it. Is it really worth it? I don't think it's yeah. worth it. Because they're military tests, they don't operate on anomalies. They don't operate on one out of a hundred had everything work perfectly. It operates yeah. on the general idea of what works and what doesn't because you can't exactly. really, frankly, have the time and money spent on going every individual case. Well, did everything work out? How's their care? How's the psychology of this? What's going to happen if they don't have this medicine in battle? You know, so on and so forth. The biggest problem is using my example, use them say Navy SEAL and all this stuff. It's transgender. So that means anybody. It's like, no. And anybody can do it. You did great in the military. You have all those awards. And you're transgender. So anybody transgender is going to be great. I'm going to do all these awards. But I'm an anomaly. I'm the one out of millions. Because I wasn't like the fully transgender. Or maybe it was just a little bit of a sexual thing. Maybe it was just that. It was so minute. And then because of where I was in my life, because of the opioids, because of where I was, it was huge at that time because of where I got pushed because of the opioids and drugs and that. And they were giving me the Cymbalta stuff and all this depression stuff that made everything worse. So I was pushed into a position where my really small little issue got exacerbated and like huge. And then I fell down this huge hole because of that's what I thought. I want to bring something up. So um, you had a book 2013 called Warrior Princess, uh, U.S. Navy SEALs Journey to Coming Out Transgender. And this was done with in an author who's also a psychologist named Ann Speckard. I want to ask you a question. Had you never had any interaction with this person? Had you never met Ann Speckard? Would you have ever come out as transgender? I never would have. Ever. And so if this psychologist had not sort of pushed you in that direction this never would have been a story in your life at all. You never would have gone through the the terror that you went through with hormones or just questioning who you are and everything else. I mean, you'd have the normal human condition of questioning this and that and the other, but you wouldn't have gone through all of these experiences, right? It was really born of what I would consider medical malpractice. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. You read that book. I helped with the book. I mean, I, I'm one of the authors, but I did like the military stuff and I, did, I didn't know what the stuff was. There's an actual chapter that she didn't put in that it was about drugs and abuse. And it was all about me and my abuse of what I was doing. And uh, I, mean, I was taking some of those oxys and we were crushing them up because it wasn't working because I was like on them so much, I would crush it up and snort it. How bad are you on, on the VA pharmaceuticals to do that? And that's when she met me and she said I was just off the hook and she was talking about the, the pharmaceuticals I was taking and how crazy I was. She didn't put that chapter in there because it was said, well, maybe there was something else going on. Yeah, maybe you know? there's something else going on here that you didn't delve into. Maybe it's unethical for you as a psychologist to go co-sign something where somebody may be, you know, having an addiction problem or having, you know, some other mental health problem that's being untreated. That first session I sat with a VA psychologist, she was in the room. She brought me there. So it was like in riding around in the car and I can see it now. Like, because I went through the training, I had to go get my own master's degree in mental health to figure out what she did to me. That's what I really did it for. You know, that's, that's another level. That's another level. I didn't know that her, her attending 
that appointment where you ended up getting prescribed hormones right It gets away. worse. If you hear all of it, it gets worse. That's, that's another level. And I think- It that, took me shopping. She was showing me how to do this, showing me how to do that. She, I was like, I was just like, oh God. We have to create a reality where for doctors, there are consequences for doing that because that's not ethical and that's not how you care for people. That that was a personal agenda in my view. I think that's plainly clear to anybody. Half, halfway, halfway through writing that book, I realized what was going on and I started fighting it. I got a lawyer and I started kind of fighting it. I said, do not publish. And I was trying to stop everything halfway through this book. And then... uh I didn't know it. She published a book on a day. Why didn't you know it happened? I had people calling me. Hey, you wrote a book. And they're so happy for me and saying, congratulations, the book is out. This is amazing. And I was like, what? And I said, that was stopped. It was like cease and desist. It was like done. And then I'm freaking out. And then next day I have like people knocking on my door, news people. Like every news camera in the world was knocking on my door because this book about the SEAL Team 6 and all this other stuff. And then CNN starts calling me. Anderson Cooper's calling me on the phone. And so... Three or four days after the book was published, I had seen Andy Anderson Cooper sit in my house. In my house, Anderson Cooper, three days after that book. That was all like, oh, I was like, ah. Oh. And then by that time, after Anderson Cooper, I'm cooked. Did CNN and Anderson Cooper exploit you to sell a narrative to America? Yeah. There's a, there's a term in women and gender studies that they teach. It's called pinkwashing. And it's when companies, corporations, they profit off of pinking things, making everything gay, while also partnering with countries that are doing corrupt business or are against the LGBTQ agenda. And so this idea is that they are they're pinkwashed. Like we're gonna put we're gonna put rainbows on Nikes and sell those and we're gonna pinkwash everything to make a profit. And now, you know, it's not pinkwashing, but it's transwashing. We're going to make everybody trans every, and we're going to profit off of it in every possible way. Because if we don't, then we're othered and we know what we have said about those other people. And so I can't turn a page now because I'd be a hypocrite. And, and that was really the beginning of this. Honestly, I mean, you were at the forefront of this in 2013. That was sort of the beginning of this trans washing and how the media and every pillar of culture started to sort of come together around this idea of pushing this to kids. And that starts by normalizing, you know, everything with the adult subsets so that when it comes into the kids' spaces, there's less questions, less, you know, sort of outrage. And it's allowed to sort of build up into what we now have, which is, you know, that boiling point where mm -hmm. there has to be something that that happens. Something has to give, you know. And I and I take responsibility. I'm gonna tell you right now, I take full responsibility. I went on CNN and everything else, and that's why I'm here right now, because I'm trying to correct that. I think that, yeah, I was used. Yeah, I was very naive. I was in a really bad way. I got taken advantage of. I got propagandized. I got used badly by a lot of people who had knowledge way beyond me. That they knew what they were doing. I didn't. But I take responsibility for that, and that's why I'm here right now, because I don't want this to continue, and I don't want these kids to get hurt. And I had, like, thoughts about this that i am a witness you know and that's a really big deal and and religious and in, in, in christianity being the witness and telling you right now that i will talk to anybody about this i want to save these kids i will buy land and when these kids are butchered and then when they figure it out you know they shouldn't hurt themselves you know come i'm gonna have land and just come i'm gonna have a tiny house for you and we're gonna help you find your way 
you know, and then they say, keep, keep saying about conversion therapy and they say that the Christians and all this conversion, you're trying to convert me not to be gay or not to be trans, or not to do this. But what if it's just a whole bunch of really caring people who are giving you options and other ways to think about things? And maybe you are, maybe you're just very confused or something else. So it's not conversion. What I see is conversion right now is the fact that you had a psychologist, you had CNN, you had everybody else. You have the entire media. Everyone is converting all these kids into transgender. That's conversion. You know, it seems like it's backwards. If all I do is care about these kids, I'm just trying to say, hey, maybe you're not trans. Maybe you just maybe you're just getting bullied and you have a lot of depression. That is an absolute version. Spot on. When you're framing, there's only one path, and if you deviate or ask questions, yep. you're, you're a bad person. There's that's. I mean, that is a cult. I mean, that is how you know you are trapped. Right. Okay. You have to take on that label, and the label of trans. If you you have to believe the label itself, right? Yep. Because if you don't. If you're if you say I'm not trans, I have gender dysphoria, then you're not detransitioning, you're not others. You're just healing. You're healing from an issue you had. If you have bulimia, if you have anorexia, if you're getting Botox, if you're getting lip filler, if you're getting muscles put in your abs or butt implants, you have some level of gender dysphoria because you are combating what society tells you you should be. And you don't want to, or you do. And you're like, oh, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to do all these things. Yeah. When you stop, if I were to stop getting Botox and stop wearing this wig and pull these lashes off and sit here in myself, that is healing. I'm not detransitioning from self-hatred. I'm healing myself and loving myself. Using even the word trans is such a sticking word. It's like calling someone an alcoholic. You'll never be anything other than that. You can't heal yourself from alcoholic. You take that label and you become it forever. If a person takes on that label, which they want you to do, that's why they're pushing it so hard. There's no out. You're yeah. in the cult because once you detransition, if you heal yourself and if you're happy and loving, you don't fit in because misery loves company. And this is a place for the miserable. That's that's fantastic. And that that leads to my next question for you, Chris. When did you know that you weren't actually transgender and how long did you wait before you told you know most people and that period of time where you waited did you wait because you weren't ready for the world's reaction or was there any fear or trepidation or or what was it in that 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 gap god it's a great question like if i was really honest with myself and i really dug in i probably knew the whole time but I was like, I was in so much other turmoil and so much other going on that I couldn't, uh, I wasn't able to analyze myself properly. You know what I mean? How are you supposed to look at yourself and say, hey, you have a sexual deviance. You have to do that. Or you, you're you you're bisexual and maybe you're like dudes and you're like, and there's so much stuff going on that, hey, I don't know. There are so many things that society puts on me making me think that these are all feminine things, but they're not. These are masculine things. To be caring is masculine. To take care of your family is masculine. That's like, that's feminine. It's like we've gotten to a point when we did like the Democrats and Republicans. Remember in the 70s when everybody would just go across the aisle and used to work together? We used to have compromises and do things. It was like there was a whole different era of politics. We just did that with gender. We made it so far out and so separate and so weird. 
And then the men over here that are controlling all the stuff are looking over to women and saying, well, we're going to erase them. And you haven't even talked about the erasure of women yet. Oh, you yeah. know, about all of this stuff. There is so much stuff. That's why I said there's tons of unpack. We could do this for hours and hours and hours. The most important thing I can tell you right now is that if I never met that psychologist, I never would have come out. If I never, that book came out, it kind of forced me further into it, into the cult, because it was like, now I'm stuck. There's a book. Oh, God. And then CNN, Anderson Cooper. Oh, my God. Now it's even further and further. Now imagine that 13 year old. That 13 year old gets, you know, the psychologist says, yes, yes, you're transgender in hormone therapy. And everybody's complimenting them. They buy some new clothes and you have this, you have that. You start getting all these things lumped on top that brings you further and further and further. They're all, they're, they're like shackles, you know? So I got shackled by that psychologist. I got shackled by the book. I got shackled by CNN. Then I got shackled every time they brought me up on stage. Like the Caitlyn Jenner going on stage and saying how brave, like, what is that? The, the sports magazine, Sports Illustrated gave some yearly award. They only give the one athlete. And then you look at this person who was in a war and I was like paraplegic and like had one arm and it was like yeah. winning these medals. And wait, that's courageous. Oh my God. And so it's also crooked. And that's what I'm saying. It's not honest. And so if I was honest with myself in the beginning, or if I had a psychologist who was honest about it from the beginning and then had me really dig in and challenge me and make me be honest with myself, then you would have seen something different. So something that I would only do like once a while, you know, turn into something to turn into every day. And so something I did as an intimate thing, turn into something that it's like, that's the issue is that this, there's so much sexual with this. Mm -hmm. And then we deny that we keep saying gender. This is not gender. Which is also transgender is not gender. Transgender is a sexual thing. Every time those guys get dressed up and they do these huge conventions. And this is also where I should have known automatically this isn't me. Because I would go to the conventions, give a speech, and talk about seals, talk about this, talk about, talk about my history and that. And then they would all go, yeah, and they're all clapping. And then I'll go, okay. And then I would go to the bar, and I'd sit there and wait in the bar. And the only people who would show up in a bar and just saying, hey, we just learned some stuff. We saw a few other veterans. Everybody else would go into private rooms and doing big orgies and stuff. Now, don't tell me this is not about sex. And then I was like, looking at that, and I was like, where is everybody? I said, this is a huge convention. There's a few hundred people here. There's only like six of us. There should be more people at the bar. Oh, they're all in the rooms doing what they do. I said, what? And right then, I should have been, bing, light bulb. That is the, the really big issue with having children, and I still mm-hmm. cannot. Yeah. I took, I took, you know, queer theories. I've studied AIDS. I've studied drag academically. In none of this, was there ever a valid, really holistic valid reason that children should participate or be at drag shows oh you know, yeah papers i wrote there's so many other ways that if a child wants to dress up and sing there's a million other ways you can do this and i said this is simply taking your child to target and there's costumes there's this bloody gory gross costume that's for teenagers and your little five-year-old's like oh my gosh that's crazy i want to put that on and you say you know what that is cool and crazy, but that's for when you're a little bit older. That's something yeah. you get to look forward to. It's just parenting. You know, like we don't let our kids get tattoos. And that's another thing about the military and, and trans in the military. Mm-hmm. People don't even realize that you can get disqualified on the phone if you have tattoos on certain parts of your body. 
Yeah. So like, like so to so to think that you know it's transphobic and this big huge word. I had to get on a waiver to join because I had alopecia, a hair loss. You know, it doesn't like worrying about how is that going to affect my mental health, like whatever you know, proper wearing of a gas mask. Like, it's really, really regulated. You know, if somebody has gone to therapy as a child, they might have to get a waiver. If their parents got divorced and you go to enlist when you're 18 and your parents got divorced when you were 10 and you all went to family therapy, you have to say that you went to therapy and they can turn you away for that. So yeah. it's not like the military is just open doors except for, for trans people. It's very, very, very hard and it's very selective. And you might have to get on a waiver for having a tattoo on your cheek or neck right there. Here, here's know? the thing about so, the military. The military is not right, you know? You join the military, it's, some, it's a job you'll join and then you sign up for it. You're stuck there for four years. Mm -hmm. The thing is, for me, yeah, I did all this stuff after I was out of the military. And if you want to do that, then fine. All those military people, when you're a veteran, you're done. Go do it. Go be transgender. But for in the military, if you're getting ready to be in the military, don't do it. I don't think they should be in there at all. Knowing what I know now and what happened to me and how easy it was even for me. And I'm, I studied philosophy and I always thought of myself I'd critical thinking. I really... And I analyzed stuff and it was like, and I got tricked into all that stuff because it was so like, it's so well laid out. The military should not have any of this in there. If you're transgender, you can do it when you retire. When you deploy, you will get an article 15 and be sent home if your toe crosses the boundary into the male barracks yeah. or vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's completely separate in a deployed location to event, pre to mm -hmm. provide, to um, prevent yeah. pregnancies, STDs, rape, you know, all the all the things that happen. So men and women are very separated. They'll be on separate, separate tents, separate areas, separate everything. You will be sent home immediately, lose rank if you're caught in the in the dwellings of the opposite sex. So then what would what's gonna happen? We're gonna see what's happening in prisons. You get people that are claiming to be trans women going to women's prisons and raping the women. That's exactly what you're gonna happen in the military because women are already getting raped. The reason that this is dominated, this this whole craze that's going on right now, it is dominated by male to female transitions. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's, you know, we touched on this before. I think a lot of this and the acceptance around it, it's built to erase the unique place that women have in society. It's built yes. to erase what makes women special yep. and unique. I mean, I, I, there's no other way to say it. Women are not like men. And that's okay. Men are not like women. You guys have strengths right. that we don't have. And, the, and we have strengths, generally, that many women don't have. Like, I'm just way stronger than she is, you know? And that's generally the case between men and women. Now, she has a much higher pain threshold than I have. I probably would have died giving birth to three children. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we have these differences for a reason. And, and there's uniqueness and there's safety for women in spaces where women can trust that it's only going to be other women. I mean, you think about yes. domestic violence shelters <clears throat> where they're now letting men into domestic violence shelters. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. About a group of people who've been terrorized by bad men mm -hmm. and saying, hey, we're going to let a guy who has associated mental health issues who still has a penis self-identified <laughs> and he's going to be there while you're sleeping when we deploy overseas and we're in combat zones more men get raped than women in yeah. the military 
yeah, that's another whole different. But yeah, they're they're doing it to each other because they're just like and it's yeah, real. And yeah. men are weird. A lot of it's, sexual deviance. Yeah, it's it's bad. Which is which is really why the sexuality part is important to to talk mm-hmm. about because the moral guardrails are necessary, and there's no really other word out of the moral guardrails that one what we could all agree on, like pedophilia is wrong, things like that. But now everything's being muddy because those guardrails, like for instance. You know, kindergarten girls shouldn't be sharing a bathroom with boys or adult male teachers. You know, their adult male teachers shouldn't be wiping baby girls' bottoms. Like, things like that. These were moral guardrails that now have been eviscerated because everything's a construct that can be deconstructed. And so it's really dangerous these things have happened, and we're seeing real women harmed. And also, we are being erased. They don't want to use the term motherhood and fatherhood. They don't right. want to use gender terms because it is about erasing these important roles that you can't replace and norms they don't want norms. you know you guys touched on something else i want to ask both of you as people who've served in the military why do you think it is the military is having such a difficult time recruiting enough people for the future because they're not meeting anywhere close to their recruit recruiting quotas and they're being honest about it it's bad i mean it is bad we've never had a problem like this before and, you know, there has to be reasons. I think I know what those reasons are, but I'm curious, you two serving, what do you think they are? I love America and I'm an American and I will fight for America. But with that being said, I've also had to come to terms with how devastatingly corrupt and dangerous and devastating this country has been to others because I was fed a false narrative, right? I personally don't believe that 9-11 was a terrorist attack outside of this country. And that's why I joined the military because I thought that. And so people are waking up to deception. You know, people are waking up to the lies. You're forcing, you know, the the, the forced vaccine was, was a dis- horrible thing for the military to do. And people are like, well, you served, you got all the vaccines. Y- yeah, you're right. There were times when and there were also times when the military exempted me from certain ones that would have caused me harm. But the difference was, is I was I was living under the narrative that what I was doing was for the common good. And so I fell for it. And what people are doing now is they're not falling for it. We're like, well, wait a second. Our government is corrupt and I'm not going to serve you when I don't know the truth. And you're trying to force an experiment on me for what? That is not trustworthy. I don't, people are not, that's, I would say, number one, forcing the vaccine was, has, has caused people to get out. There's Supreme Court lawsuits brought by the SEALs trying to fight this. And if the SEALs don't want to do it, you know how people look up to the SEALs? Every single person wanting to join the military is like, I'm going to be a SEAL or I'm going to be a fighter pilot, something awesome. And if they don't want to do it, no. Yep. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's number one, the forced vaccine. And number two... I would say is the injection of woke curriculum. The wokeism. Yeah, I was going to go there. The wokeism. In general. It's such a small percentage of people that they need to take care of. If, if you're doing woke for transgender people inside the military, you're only talking about the, what, those few thousand people. And then you make the entire military go through hour and hour and hour, sit there for days going through these things about pronouns. And I love what Matt Law said about pronouns. It was like, you get to pick up pronouns? That's like picking adjectives, you know? So I want to pick my own adjectives right now. And Matt said, I'm extremely handsome. So from now on, everyone must, you must, you know, call me extremely handsome every time you uh, speak to me. 
that's the same thing. And so when you're doing this kind of stuff and you're making these people in the military who are just patriots, it's, I'm a warrior, you're telling Conan, hey, Conan, put down your sword and let's sit in here for a little while and let's, um, let's talk about pronouns. And it's like, Conan's sitting there going, what? What are you talking about? I don't even know what you're, well, get away from me. And so I would never join a military now. If I had a chance to join a military now, I would be like, no way. Anybody that asked me they want to join a military, I'm like, no, why would you? But now yeah. distinction here, both of you would immediately serve to protect America. Yes. Oh yeah. Right now, hundred percent. Right but, now. But neither yeah. of you right you're doing that right now, yes, hundred percent, just by by virtue of speaking up. I mean, it's so critical and important because this is a whole different information war that's going on. Yeah. And you're helping stave off a group of people that desperately need an off-ramp, but you wouldn't join the U.S. military. And I wish I could tell you I disagree with you, but I don't. I don't disagree with you. You know, if there were kids affected by your story, you know, whether it be back in 2013 or recently, they watched the interview or something like that, if they were affected by it and thought, you know, oh, maybe this is the road for me, what would you say to those kids now, knowing what you know? I don't even know if I can talk now because I started thinking about it and I know, <clears throat> I know how much damage I've caused because they used me so well, you know, I uh, just want to say I'm sorry. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, the women out there and all these kids and sorry if you could forgive me for not knowing anything and, and the experts that knew you know definitely use that and uh i know god will forgive me but i feel like he, i don't have any forgiveness it is so bad you don't understand how bad this is it's destruction of the family it's killing these kids and they're not transgender, you know? A lot of these kids, yeah, maybe, but there's a lot of them that aren't, and that's... I'm going to live with this my whole life. I destroyed my life 10 years ago, and and I guess I'm probably destroying it again right now, you know? All those kids out there, there's people that love you, you know, just because we say, you know go to therapy, let's talk about this. Just because we're challenging you doesn't mean we don't love you. We do love you. We're challenging you because we love you. We're going to make it hard on you. It's like a, a kid that you never discipline. You know, that's not good, you know? We're going to challenge you, and I want to challenge you. I want to talk to you about some of the stuff that I had to go through and things that were going in my head, and maybe I'll have to write some of that down because I'm not going to be able to talk about most of this stuff. Bravery is not just an action. A lot of people focus on the bravery of actions. Bravery is also the truth. I you know, there is a lot of fear around telling the truth. There's a whole system and governments and, and you know, micro economic warfare that plays out over making sure that people are convinced they shouldn't tell the truth when they should. And so you're brave for telling the truth. And I think that your place in history is going to be an important one of telling the truth and that whatever damage was done, you have now the ability to do far more 
to heal what is wrong right now in this moment because the problem has grown so exponentially. Figures like you who can speak from the base of knowledge you have are few and far between. And so if you get one, someone like you who can speak on this, having been used by the media as an example of trying to push this whole thing forward, you stand to be somebody that those people who are confused can look to and say, oh, it's okay to be where I am right now. It doesn't mean I have to take these life altering, irreversible you know, choices that that's the only path. And so what you're doing, you know, I hope you, I hope you understand how incredibly important it is and that you stand as that example for those people, because I mean, it's, you have a lot of power to change a lot of, a lot of hearts and lives, you know? And so, um, that's why I was, I was so excited to talk to you about this because I just, I can't imagine the lives that could be changed by people who aren't even intending to have their life changed, who maybe come and watch this eventually because they hate me, you know, and they think like, oh, I want to let them know what a transphobic bigoty is, blah, 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 that they watch it and they have their heart changed by seeing what's really there, you know? Yeah, yeah I think, it, I, I hope that people take out of this that you don't, you don't have to take on that label forever. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's part of the big agenda was getting rid of, you know, the diast the the uh, the manual saying that it was gender dysphoria. Like com they use gender dysphoria in those studies as if it's something really negative to say that you don't have gender dysphoria, you're trans. Mm -hmm. But really what you're locking someone into something that they, you know, if somebody would have said to Kristen years ago, perhaps you're suffering from gender dysphoria and some healing took place. We wouldn't we wouldn't be here. But it was the fact that that label was used as such a permanent stigmatizing label that that's what I would hope that kids, you know, maybe you maybe you don't like how you look right now. Everybody does. Everybody goes through that. I can you know, and there has to be more examples of people who have gone through really crap stuff, men and women who share their stories because it's through our common stories and through our commonalities that that we're going to bond with each other, you know, and they have to understand, like, I hope society understands the danger of this label, the, the labeling your children that and labeling yourself as trans is so it's attached to something that's really, you know, for lack of better words, it's, it's demonic in nature. And if we boil all this down all that's left, it's going to come to good and evil. You know, yep. that's that's what this is. That's what this is. And then, and, but if you're faithless, you will never see it as good and evil because you don't think good and evil exists. So that's another thing that we're up against is yeah, people absolutely. that don't even believe that good and evil exists. And unless you've been personally victimized by someone on a one on one level, like I have, it's hard for you to fathom that the government could be so bad to you. You know how you talked about um, being able to be politically awoken by recognizing the breaks in the system, like the breaks in the matrix of people like, you know, uh, Brandon Tatum or me or Brokeback Patriot or who, these people who aren't supposed to exist and how they can change somebody's mind to open up to something new politically. Well, I think that, you know, you just touched on something so true. That same thing happens in religion because there's all these people who are faithless out there and they're faithless because they've been sold an idea about faith, sold an idea about Christianity 
that, you know, it's, it has to be this select type of person. Mm-hmm. So weird you say this, because we talked about this before the show today, this morning, about the need to be open and show people that there's people from all walks of life who end up here. You know, um, I, I think that it's important to let those people know that there's other paths to filling yeah. holes that you might feel you have in your exactly. heart, you know, and that there is, you know, a lot of people out there who are willing to accept people who are struggling with any kind of problem and to try to help lead them towards something good. You know, I want to bring something up in your 2013 interview with Anderson Cooper. You said you wanted to set an example for the younger generation. And I just want to point out that your life has come full circle to the point where now you are going to be an example for the younger generation. Mm -hmm. And that opportunity is in front of you, not behind you. Thank you. I'm going to do my best. You know, I'm here and I don't want to do any more interviews ever again or be on media or book or movies. I I don't do this. That's why I got really stuck when I went on that book in CNN. Then I was in the public. I don't like to be in the public. I was always that sneaky, peaky Navy SEAL that don't do public. So I hope this is the last time I ever have to speak about this ever in the public, but I don't think it's going to be because... I do feel that I did make those mistakes and I do owe it. And that's the same thing about taking responsibility is the fact that I made those mistakes also. It's not just someone else that did it to me. I also was part of it. It's how could I not say that? You know, I have to try to make up for it. So I will be on shows and I'll talk to Matt Walsh. I'll talk to CNN. I challenge CNN. Have me on now, you know? They should. Anderson Cooper should have you on now. And yeah. and I will make that challenge directly to him after this comes out that you need to have him back on and yeah. mm-hmm. show your viewers the reality. And, yeah. you know, the other part of this, too, is, it, you know, you're a warrior. I mean, deep down, there's 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 sort of these um, I'm gonna fight. Yeah. there's these these things that are attached to us as human beings inside of us. And uh, it's part of our soul. And part of your soul is being a warrior. And so when you look at this problem in front of us, you see a war on our children. Yeah. You're gonna go on you're gonna go on every show that you can exactly. possibly get in front of people exactly. to help fight that war to yeah. stop this. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I would just caution people who are trying to do this. The people, you know, it's a, it's not this giant group. It's a small group mm-hmm. who are knowingly doing this, who are knowingly doing it to destroy society. Yeah. I would warn them that that warrior spirit lives inside more of us than it does in them. Oh yeah, I'm fighting. I'm fighting. If I just maybe one one thought to close us out that maybe sums up a lot of this. It's like, what is true identity? Is identity a label you wear, a virtue signal into the world that you need that that feedback loop from the world to validate your sense of identity? Is it is it a color of your skin? Is it a, who you have sex with? Is it who you're attracted to? Is it who you see yourself as? Or is it deeper? Mm-hmm. And maybe what that is what so many of us, not just children, but even the adults that are supposed to be modeling this to the very children that we raise, need to see in us mm-hmm. first. Maybe we're the ones of the identity crisis because we need to reflect to our children and to everyone that identity comes from. It, you know, and you know, as a believer, I believe that for me, that's comes through God. But for someone who doesn't, it, these superficial characters are just superficial labels, mm-hmm. and you never feel complete by them, right? 
I think that's the truth that we really have to ask is what is our true identity? What is deeper than all these things? What is our character? What, who are we? What motivates us? What is our purpose? That is identity. It's mm-hmm. not superficial characteristics that are always going to be reliant upon the world then to tell us who we are, to affirm us. And if they don't, we are broken, right? That is giving all of our power away. And so maybe that's what <laughs> you know, we can pose to the viewers and to, to all of us challenge yeah. ourselves. Look at yourself and see how, you know, you see your own identity. Are you showing your kids in the next generation the right ideas about it? Or are they focused on the wrong things and being led down a path where they're going to end up doing something disruptive to their bodies and to their minds? And, yeah. And their bodies, yeah. You know, so thank you so much, both of you. <laughs> thank you. I feel like we'll probably go on another five hours. So maybe yeah. we'll do another episode. But I think this is a great place for people to start yeah. with the story and understand what's happening. Yes. We just lost Courtney, but yeah, we're saying goodbye anyway. But thank you so much. I I do hope to continue to fight. You know, I am in a fight right now and you definitely pointed that out to me that I'm not gonna back down. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank well, you. anything we can do to let us know. Um we always want to be helpful and are so happy that you're speaking out. Thank you so much. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you liked what you heard, tag me on social media, repost clips from it, share it with your friends. You sharing our show is how we grow and it's how we get the truth out there. So if you want to help spread the truth and help wake people up, please go and share our show. Go to our website, RobbieStarbuck.com for more information or to watch old episodes. See you at the next episode.